0: What's up, y'all, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, Jack Vita. Big time episode today. The year is almost over. The decade is almost over. And it's time to look back on the 2010s. Yes, today we are calling the show All Decade Sports. So much to get to. In this one, we will be sharing our picks for the All Decade MLB NFL, NBA, and college basketball teams, and maybe we'll throw in a few other treats in there as well. We're going to look back on this decade in sports by picking the players that really stood out in terms of excellence on the field, on the court, so I'm very excited to do that today. Let me bring in the guy who's going to be embarking on this journey with me, I'm so happy to have him joining me. He was one of my college professors. He is the host of Union Street Hoops, the podcast, where he covers Valparaiso men's basketball. He's also been covering that team for the Northwest Indiana Times, along with Prep Sports, for several years, all decade long, right, Paul Oren? How you doing?
1: I'm doing well, man. I'm coming off a, just uh, like everybody's sick right now, I'm coming off a sinus infection, but sometimes you got to play hurt, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Uh, you know, lo- longtime fan of everything you do, and uh, we bumped into each other a couple of weeks ago, and, and I said, what am I going to do to get on the show, and, and here we are.
0: <laughs> perfect. Yeah, I thought this was the perfect show for you, Paul, because you, I won't I won't give away how old you are, but you are a little older than me, so we come from different different vantage points coming into this decade. I was only 15 years old, and now I'm 25, so... I'm happy to have someone in here who's a little bit of a veteran.
1: Yeah, so it, it was interesting, and I'll, I will give away my age. I was <laughs> born in March of 1980. So I have got to see the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and now the 2010. So I've actually been around for four full decades. And it's interesting how perspective changes over time. I think about those players from the 80s and how they were larger than life for me. And now as I'm older, you know, it's difficult to maybe pick who the greats are because all these guys are younger than me now. So it's really interesting. There's a a weird pivot in life, and you'll go through this in a little bit. And and you're starting to a bit. I mean, obviously, when you watch the college game now, all of those guys are younger than you. And that's an odd feeling. So going back through trying to pick who the best of the best are when you realize they're all 10 years younger than you, it's a sobering feeling. (laughs)
0: yeah definitely experienced that watching college football college basketball just started a couple years ago i'm like oh my goodness i'm older than everyone this is definitely very different
1: well um you know this was a fun exercise to go through the best of the best of the last 10 years and i'm excited to get into this here
0: all right let's get going then paul Let's start with the NBA, and let's just get this one out of the way, because I I really think this list is pretty cut and dry. Do you want me to give you my list, and you could go second on this one?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's hear your let's hear your top five. Is that is that what we're doing here? Top five, and uh, and kind of see where we go from there.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I d- I went two guards, three front court guys. Sadly, the center position is dying in this league, which I hate. Yeah. Yeah. Hate that, but I thought it was pretty easy picking the forwards. But you got LeBron, Kevin Durant, and Kawhi Leonard, the three best players in my opinion from this decade.
1: Yeah, and I I agree. I've got those three as well on my list. I, I, you know, it clearly Kawhi Leonard solidified his spot last year. I was never a big Kawhi guy uh, because I. I really get frustrated by the whole load management thing. This is, again, where my age comes in a little bit, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be an old man yelling at a cloud, but <laughs> the guy basically took a year and just sat on the sidelines when he was with the Spurs and didn't do anything, and I wanted to hate him for that. And then he came back last year with the Raptors, and what a year, and what a year he put forward.
0: And uh, And that
1: run through the playoffs kind of solidified him on the list there for me.
0: Yeah. The thing I love about him is just in terms of the way he equally dominates on both ends of the court. Really in my lifetime, there really has not been a player who's done that defensively and offensively.
1: He's such a complete player. And I love, he's kind of a no frills player as well, right? He shows up, he gets his job done. I love the whole board man gets paid (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I just, I, I have come everything I didn't like about Kawhi Leonard is cause it was more of like ignorance. I didn't know a lot about him and you know, the, he's from a mid-major program. So I appreciate that. And, uh, and, and you really, obviously you look at the other two that are on there, LeBron and Durant, um, they're excellent. Now there's a guy who will probably be on the next all decade team and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yes. He just. <laughs> has not done it long enough yet in order to be on this list. But, uh, you know, that was, you know, him. And and then uh, I had Blake Griffin, if he was healthier, is a guy that probably could have, uh, scratched it there. And, and Anthony Davis, obviously another one, those guys I have a feeling we'll get to Anthony Davis when we, uh, we look at college here in a little bit
0: yeah we certainly will be talking about him we do talk about the backcourt also I didn't think this was too difficult I think you have to get Stephen Curry in there and then really I think the only spot that's up for debate is the other guard spot and I went with James Harden there
1: that would be those are my two as well Chris Paul you could make an argument for and depending on your flavor of, uh, of what you want out of a player. Russell Westbrook is another player that you could maybe look at there. But as as you said at the top, I think this one's pretty cut and dry. Curry, Harden, LeBron, Durant, and Leonard are, are really, for me, the top five players of the decade.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Not too much to talk about here, but let's talk about, let's look back on this decade in the NBA, Paul. In my opinion, this was... Not a very good decade in terms of the quality of basketball, in my personal opinion.
1: Well, I think what's interesting about the past decade is obviously LeBron going from Cleveland to Miami, back to Cleveland, and now to the Lakers. That's been a huge storyline. And then the evolution of the Golden State Warriors from a team that I know when you were a kid never did anything, right? They were Yeah, awesome. just the Baron Davis and-
0: year. That was it. Oh seven, yeah,
1: and and then they build up this this you know they get Curry, and then they I mean they draft well and and they bring in Draymond Green and they bring in Clay Thompson and they surround them with guys like Andre Iguodala who was an afterthought and Sean Livingston and really I mean to me the story of those last decade has been about uh, and really the story of the last couple of decades has been about team versus individuality right. Yeah. The Spurs were the dominant team last decade and the Warriors really have been the dominant team here. And they did it by building a team. And then on the flip side, you look at guys like Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, um, Jimmy Butler, these guys who have Kyrie Irving is another one to me. These guys that have kind of wanted to be the guy on their team instead of being part of a team. And this is where, you know, my age comes in again. Like, I appreciated what the Golden State Warriors did this decade because they did it as a team. And obviously now you're seeing that fall apart because they don't have the team anymore. And uh, I think it's interesting to watch a guy like Draymond Green who used to get a lot of technicals and spout off and everything when he had the Splash Brothers and Durant behind him, and now he's kind of the only guy left. And uh, and he's pretty quiet right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, he hasn't played a whole lot either. A lot of them have been... Uh resting uh, I think they're going for that number one pick
1: hey it would make sense you know you add you add one of these top top players to their team I don't even know who the the presumptive number one overall pick would be at this point um, but uh, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what Golden State can do next year with a healthy Klay Thompson a healthy Steph Curry and you know ostensibly a number the a top five pick in the NBA draft as well
0: this decade was not my favorite i'll give a couple reasons why i'll give you number one and that's when i grew up watching this game it's kind of funny because it was a time period in the 2000s that a lot of people refer to as the dark ages but what drew me in was i love the the alpha males just wanting to go toe-to-toe every night whether it was Ray Allen's Bucks and Iverson's Sixers, which uh, I'm sure you remember very well. There was a very poorly officiated Eastern Conference Finals between those two teams.
1: You said off the air this was a family show, so let's just move <laughs> on from that, from that uh, that whole series there. But I, I would tell you that you can, you can Google all over and find out what people truly think about the officiating of the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals.
0: Yeah. And, uh, but you get those kind of matchups, whether it was Tracy McGrady's Magic, Vince Carter's Raptors. I just like seeing those guys want to go toe-to-toe. And I thought those superstars were really cut from a different cloth, whereas this decade you had the two biggest superstars leave their teams to go form a super team and want to compete with their best friends. That rubbed me the wrong way.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think, look, I go back and forth on this all the time. I I grew up in the 80s, right, where we watched Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas hate each other, right? I mean, the pettiness was so big that Jordan made sure Isaiah Thomas wasn't on the 92 Olympics team, right? Like, they hated each other. These guys in today's NBA, they're all in it together, right? They all one guy gets a big deal that means the next guy's going to get a big deal and it's hard to blame them for kind of how i mean they they have learned to grab the power back from the owners which i i think they should be able to do that at the same time i i loved when there was kind of a hatred on the floor right and that was that played out on the court in basketball right so to me i it's it's not as fun to watch the NBA today as it was back then. That said, I don't necessarily know that I need to see the malice in the palace every night either. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> the other thing, and I met, I did mention this briefly earlier, they killed off the center possession. There's just, everyone is shooting threes. I don't love this brand of basketball, and I've really found myself much more drawn to the college game.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the college game to me is is I, I will watch Canisius and Duquesne play each other before I will watch an NBA game just because I like the college game better. A lot of people tell me I'm crazy because they tell me, well, they're, they're so much more talented in the NBA. Well, I, you know, yes, they are, but I, and I guess I do enjoy watching Giannis dunk on everybody, but I like watching five-on-five, five, not five games of one-on-one.
0: On one. right. So yeah, it was a weird decade in the NBA. It was a decade all about dynasties and super teams and what have you really wasn't too open for a whole lot of teams to get in super competitively. So not my favorite decade, but it wasn't the worst.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and look, the NBA is trending in a good direction and I, I maybe it's because I'm a Bucks man and because of Giannis <laughs> is, is what he's doing. Um, I miss guys like Kobe Bryant. I miss Dwayne Wade. I miss, uh, you know, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. That that group was fun to watch. But there's a lot of talent in the league right now. And, and looking forward to seeing kind of what the next 10 years will bring us, hopefully, multiple championships at the Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee.
0: Yeah, and keep in mind, Paul, you mentioned the fandom thing. Derrick Rose was amazing when this decade started, and uh, the Bulls are uh, not quite the Bulls anymore. <laughs> yeah,
1: I you know, but they've got a young, bright future. It's just going to take a little bit here, and, and they probably need a different coach.
0: <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> Let's talk about the college game, Paul, and I want to let you get going on this. You want to give me your guards first?
1: Yeah, so this is really, really hard because... <laughs> yeah the reason why college basketball, why this is hard is because do we look at guys who were great for one year, like John wall or, um, or guys that were around for a little bit, but really only shined later on like Shabazz Napier. Um, so it was hard to figure out who was the best decade. Cause I don't think you have to be a senior to be the best, on, you know, you, that you had to play for four years to be part of the best decade team. But it was hard for me to, to give it to guys that were really only around for one year, although there's two of them on this list. But in my backcourt, <laughs> we have some more experienced players. Um, I'm going to go with a, a guy who I think is ultimately underrated. He played at Villanova, Jalen Brunson. Mm. As a kind of an excellent, excellent guard, I really, really enjoyed, uh, you know, watching him play. He played for three years, um, and then I think the second one that I'm going to go with, and this is this is hard, I'm going to go with. Uh, oh, it's such a it's such a close call, but I'm going to go with Jimmer Fredette from BYU.
0: I love the Jimmer pick, and you know what I like about this already, Paul, is we have different picks. This is good.
1: I imagine the, gu- the one guard that I took off my top five, I imagine is on your list right now, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and actually, so, w- so who are your guards?
0: Yeah, first, I'll say where I drew the line with making my picks. I actually did not go with any one-and-done guys. I thought my qualification was two years. I think you had to play two years in this decade. Um, so I ended up not going with any freshmen. I'll, I just want to get that out of the way here first. But we all we look at these things differently. That's how I looked at it.
1: All right, that, that, that's fair. That's fair. And I haven't look. I haven't submitted my picks to you yet, so I can change. But um, <laughs> I, I, I do. I do like that that idea. So all right. So so my guess is one of your guards is from UConn.
0: Yes, that's correct. You want to guess yeah. which one?
1: That's Kemba Walker.
0: That is correct. Yeah, great he job.
1: Was, he was right there with Jimmer for me on the you know, right it's like like one A and one B in terms of what I was looking at there. So I think Kemba's a great pick.
0: Yeah, and Jimmer was my number three. I had a really tough time cutting him. I really wanted to pick him.
1: So who who is your other guard?
0: My other guard is Buddy Hield.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good good pick from Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, and then I I wrote down, when I was looking at the guards, there were just so many guys that I want to give an honorable mention to. I I got Trey Burke on that list, Jimmer Fredette, Denzel Valentine, Jalen Brunson was one of my honorable mentions, uh, Shabazz Napier, and Frank Mason. Those are really the guards that jumped out at me.
1: Yeah. Frank Mason was in college forever. I felt like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I would, uh, I would give, I I would give, uh, I mean, I think those are all very good lists right there.
0: Um,
1: so I, but for me it Brunson and Jimmer Brunson, because of what he did at Villanova to kind of help make them a, a, a power for the later stages of, of the decade. And then Jimmer for just, uh, I mean, he was must-see TV every time he played.
0: Yeah, Jimmer was definitely. I really wanted to put him on the list just for the entertainment value because it was it was so amazing. And then the classic Gus Johnson call. Oh, from Jimmer range. It's excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so, all right, the the forwards. Yeah, you. Yeah, give me your front court.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, kind of similar to Jimmer gotta go more mid-major here Dougie McD. Doug McDermott
0: great and pick. I, I have Bulls, him as well
1: I know as a Bulls fan I thought maybe it might be tough for you but <laughs> uh Dougie McDermott was just I mean that guy every year just did it I mean he led the nation in scoring by his senior year um one of the uh he's in the top six or seven all-time in scoring and uh you know, for me, I just thought Doug McDermott was was outstanding. And then, man. I, Can
0: I guess one of yours?
1: Yeah, go ahead.
0: Do you have Frank the Tank?
1: Uh, so I'm, I'm debating here. <laughs> Frank the Tank is like my Kemba Walker. He Frank Kaminsky from Wisconsin is right there. But I went with Zion Williamson instead because – And I know that that you had talked about not having a first year, like a one-and-done on there, but I felt like Zion Williamson was just such a – again, what he did at Duke, it was amazing to watch. And I I know he didn't win a championship or anything like that, but he was one of the biggest stories – in a long time. And I'm waiting to see him in the NBA. But to me, I put Zion Williamson over Frank Kaminsky on the, on the all decade team.
0: That was a surprise. I was not expecting you to leave Frank off the list.
1: It was really hard. It was really hard. Um, he's right there for me on the list, especially. And now that I think about what he did, you know, against Kentucky and that run back-to-back final fours you might you might be talking me into it here. You might be talking <laughs>
0: it. Yeah, Zion that one year. So if you're looking at this in the sense of who had the if you're looking at okay, I get one year of a player. Zion has to be a top 5 player on the decade.
1: Yeah. If if we did a top 5 one and done, maybe that should have been Yeah. Uh, you know, that would have that would have been uh something else to to look at here but um you know I just I thought for maybe even more of the off the court stuff everything that surrounded Zion was I mean his recruitment the I I know people who are at the gym in Vegas when they couldn't get in for the for a game he was playing I think against Lonzo or or LaMelo or one of the I, I don't remember exactly I think it might have been Lonzo a couple of years ago and uh He's just such a great story. I really uh, and and I loved watching Zion Williamson play last year at, at Duke, and that's why he made my list.
0: It's a good pick. He didn't make my list, but uh, keep going. Who you got as your final? I guess center or forward, rounding out your five.
1: Well, I mentioned him earlier in the All NBA, and again, I, I went with a one and done. Anthony Davis. His performance in the final four in the title game was, I mean, a thing of legend. He was excellent. And one of the reasons why he was so good was because he didn't need to score to be effective. And the, the block shots, the rebounds, he was amazing. And for, I mean, he, I don't want to say he single-handedly delivered that national title, but it was pretty close. Yeah. He was, uh, I mean, Anthony Davis was something else in that game that entire year. And we talk about how the center position is not really a thing anymore. He felt like a throwback. And, you know, obviously you're seeing the success he's having in the NBA now. But he was a man among boys his one year in college basketball. And it was was hard for a one-and-done to make this list for me. They needed to be a generational-type player. And for me, Zion Williamson and Anthony Davis kind of fit that mold. If you say Zion or you say eyebrow, I immediately know who you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, and you know, and really you think about these guys, really with Jalen Brunson for me was the only really underrated guy. If if I would have taken Jalen off and put Kemba Walker on there, I could say the names Kemba, Dougie McBuckets, Zion. Jimmer and eyebrow and everybody knows who I'm talking about. Right. And any sports fan does. And I think there's some staying power with that. Right. I mean, you, you had buddy healed. You could say buddy, you could say Frank, the tank, Shabazz. There's, there's just something about these guys that have stood the test of time a little bit. So for me, again, Brunson, Jimmer, Dougie McDee, Zion Williamson, and Anthony Davis makes up my all-decade college basketball team.
0: That's a good list. I like your squad. I, I did go a little differently. Uh, and I also I like that thought process in terms of the biggest icons or the icons being a thing that contribute to this as well.
1: I, you know, there's another guy that, that, and we'll get to your front court in a second, and I wonder if maybe you'll have this guy on there, uh, Denzel Valentine. I saw him put up a triple double at the Champions Classic, his senior year against Kansas. And I just thought Denzel Valentine was an excellent player in college. I think, and and he gets overlooked a little bit. I think because his pro career hasn't, you know, kind of turned out the way that it probably should have. But I really, really do enjoy Denzel Valentine.
0: Yeah, I, he was on my honorable mentions list, and part of the thing was I didn't know. Do I put him as a guard? Do I put him as a forward? That made it a little tough.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So who who is your front court?
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. So I got Dougie McBuckets in there as well. Uh, you may have mentioned this three-time All-American, only one from this decade. That is so remarkable. I've got Draymond Green, actually, in my front court, because I want to have a defensive guy. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, this was a guy that, as I was... He really was not an icon. This was a guy that, as I was doing my research, I was like, oh my goodness, this guy was a two-time All-American. And that's Jared Sollinger.
1: Yeah, excellent player. That's I really, I really like Sollinger, yeah. And, and again, a guy that probably gets overshadowed because his pro career hasn't really turned out the way that we thought it might. And but you're right, Sellinger was outstanding.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing that's interesting because I was looking around and just seeing where other people were making their lists. And like when people look at when some people make these lists, the pro career thing really is a big contributor. Cause I saw someone had Carl Anthony Towns on their list and he wasn't even the guy at Kentucky. Willie Cauley Stein was the guy.
1: Can I uh, can I put two honorable mention guys that that are probably honorable mention for honorable mentions on here?
0: <laughs> are they mid major guys?
1: They are. Yes, there's two of them. They were. Team-
0: okay, I got a few mid majors here. So go ahead.
1: These guys were teammates. Fred Van Vliet and Ron Baker at Wichita State. Oh, yes. What they did, particularly Ron Baker, because he was somebody who just, you nothing screamed basketball player when you looked at him and oh, he was fun to watch. Really, really enjoyed, enjoyed him. And then if I were to pick a favorite moment of the decade, Spike Albrecht's first half against Louisville <laughs> in the national championship. Oh
2: game man.
1: It's got to go on the list. And, and probably because I know Spike, I covered him in high school and uh, and have, have gotten to know him a bit more after college. Great guy. And, uh, and you know, we'll always have those first 20 minutes of the national title game.
0: Oh, yes. That was, that was just so fun. That was really exciting. I did not know you had the connection with him. That's pretty cool. I got three mid-major guys on here. I actually didn't know any of the Wichita State guys, so I'm glad you did because I was also a fan of those teams that they had. I've got Mike Dom from South Dakota State.
1: Yeah, great, great player.
0: And Chris Clemens also. I kind of lump those from two guys Campbell. together. Yep, Both, I think, are top 10 all-time in scoring. And really, if we had gotten at least one of them into the tournament last year, I think that really would have given us that mid-major that could have gone to the Sweet 16, and really given a lot of people stuff to talk about in the early rounds because last year's tournament didn't really heat up until we got a little later into it.
1: I can. I, I hope I know the last guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. Excited to see who you're going to say now. Yeah,
0: we we got to mention Alec Peters on this list.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. He. What a career. What. What a run he went on at the end of his junior year. And then you just kind of, his senior year, just kind of expected him to have 25 and 10 every game. Amazing player.
0: Unbelievable. I'm so glad I got to cover him for two years and you got got to cover him for four.
1: It It was a treat, right? And one of my, to watch his maturation from his freshman year to, I'll always remember after they got beat by Milwaukee, in the conference tournament, how difficult it was for him to leave the arena in green Bay after the game. And you could just see the, you know, there's moments when you can see the pain festering on somebody and you know, it's going to be fuel to their fire and you could see it in that moment. And he turned that into going to the NCAA tournament the next year, the NIT run the year after that. And then obviously the terrible injury suffered at the end of his, uh, the end of his career, which, really kind of hurt him but he's doing great overseas right now and uh one of the all-time greats.
0: Oh yes. And an awesome human being as well. Cannot say enough absolutely great things about Alec Peters. I, can I put you on the spot here Paul? I don't know if you want to do this yeah. here or if you want to do this on your podcast, but I would love yeah. to hear your all-decade Valpo team.
1: Oh, that's a great question. Oh, that's a great great question. Um
0: you can uh, save it for your podcast guard. if you want the content.
1: Well, you know, I think I, you know, I'll, I'll I'll mention a couple of names here, and then I'll, I'll flush it out on Union Street. Yeah, groups. but you know, I I'll put it to this way: the point guard position is a battle between Eric Bugs and Keith Carter. The shooting guard position is, uh, you know, Tavon Walker is probably up there. Um, you know, that's that's a hard one. Broke off at small forward, although I don't even know if he really played small forward. Um, you know, I don't... so, But I guess we'd give him small forward. Peters at, at power forward. And then uh, at center, it's either do you want a scorer like Kevin Van Vyck or a defender like the Shield Fernandez. Um, actually, I had this conversation with uh, John Bowker on the uh, the drive to Eastern Michigan last week, and a, the public address announcer for Valpo, and we realized that it was an embarrassment of riches for Valpo, hmm. and it was it's going to be very difficult to kind of pick that. So I'll uh, I'll flush the rest of it out on Union Street hoops, but there's some good good choices to be made there.
0: Awesome! I look forward to listening. That's going to be a fun episode. I've got a few other college basketball related thoughts as we look back on this decade. I'm wondering, Paul, was there anyone that when you were thinking of names for this list, when you're doing a little research, and then you did some research and you're like, oh, he wasn't as good as I remembered him to be in terms of accolades? Because I had a guy. That's a
1: good question. Um, Huh? Well, who's your guy? And, and, And I'll think about it a little bit while you talk about it.
0: Yeah, so... Maybe it's just a little bit of the regional bias I have being in Big Ten territory. But I was surprised that Aaron Kraft was never an All-American because it just seemed like he was there at Ohio State for forever. And I always liked his game. He reminded me a little bit of Kirk Heinrich at Kansas. He was a good outside shooter, and he had an excellent defensive game as a point guard. He was just a gritty, scrappy guy. I really liked his game. I think he was only all Big Ten once.
1: Yeah, that, so that's an interesting... I wasn't sure if you were asking if there was someone who I thought was overrated or someone who I thought was underrated. Uh, I I loved watching Aaron Kraft play. Aaron Kraft was your kind of quintessential college throwback player. Really, really enjoyed him. And I I would probably put Fred VanVleet in that list as well, right? We talked about yeah. him kind of all Um, as As one of those guys who I just kind of thought was... Uh, was maybe criminally underrated. Um, and you know, I, it's probably where I put Jalen Brunson on my all time list too, because I don't, uh, Brunson to me was, was excellent. Uh, how about another guy from Villanova that, that I think about, um, who now plays for the bulls. Uh, and I'm going to say this name just because I like saying it out loud. Ryan yeah. Archer is, uh, is an excellent guy too. And, um, you know there there were uh, there were some some good players there, and maybe maybe one guy too is uh, Malcolm Brogdon from Virginia. is another one. Oh
0: yeah, he was. A, I think he was uh, first team All American one year and second team another year.
1: Yeah, so I look at Brogdon and Denzel Valentine kind of as similar type guys, just really good college players that. Um, and I think it's difficult a lot of times is that when we kind of judge them based on what happened in the pros as well. And when Brogdon got picked by the Bucks late in the second round, everyone was like shocked that he ended up being a great player in the NBA. And I said, well, what were you guys watching in college? The guy was amazing, you know? And uh, and it's been good to see him have success at the next level.
0: For sure. So I just looked up Aaron Kraft. If I told you he was – I mean, how many times would you have guessed he was recognized as an All-Big Ten player whether as first team, second team, or third team. Off the top of your head.
1: I would have said three at minimum, but now that we're talking about this, I imagine it's something less than that. But I would have said three, because he was uh, he was the guy for a long time.
0: So here's really surprising. Actually was never on the all Big Ten first team. Was on the second team in 2013 and
1: the third team in 2014. That seems so odd to me. I mean, I... I I'll have to do a deeper dive to find out kind of who took his spots because he was, uh, I mean, he was, he was great to watch. cost me a billion (laughs) dollars. You know, that one year that Warren Buffett was giving out a billion dollars for a perfect bracket, uh, Dayton, Dayton beat Ohio state in the first round. Uh, The the first game of the tournament, I was at Buffalo wild wings in Valpo and, uh, and Ohio state lost at the end of that game. And, and I just said, well, Aaron Kraft just cost me a billion dollars. Yeah, I didn't get all the other games right either, but you know we can blame it on him.
0: <laughs> I remember that image of him. Uh, he went in, shot a runner, fell on the floor, and was just looking up, sadly, after his team lost.
1: But a great player, and, and someone I really, really enjoyed watching play. And, uh, and so... I, I just read here the fourth player in Big Ten history to be a three-time first-team academic All-American selection. Uh, so he was—he was a smart guy. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't—you know—can't believe that uh, he did not make it uh, All Big Ten there.
0: Yeah, he was a two-time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year too. So he, he at least got the defensive notice, I guess.
1: He was—he was excellent. Oh, he was so good to watch.
0: Yeah. I was going to just say Trey Burke had a nice run in the tournament at Michigan. Yeah, he did. That was like seven years ago. I think that's been forgotten a little bit.
1: He was so good too. And, and just that, that whole group, that whole team that Michigan had was excellent, but he was the engine that, uh, that drove the ship there. And he was fun to watch.
0: Yeah. He reminded me a little bit of Stephen Curry.
1: Yeah. 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 No, I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, it, You mentioned Buddy Heald earlier. Again, he was kind of a one-and-done guy, but Trey Young, well, he was fun to watch, too, as kind of a uh, (laughs) modern-day gunner a little bit. Another another fun college player to watch.
0: So looking back on this decade, I want to note one team that just had a very drastic fall-off from where they started at the beginning of the decade, and that's UConn.
2: Yeah. This team
0: came in. Won two championships and now they got. They ended up getting left in the American. I like the American. I think the Americans under a conference, but they didn't get to stay. They didn't move over to the ACC. The Big East still has the big name, and UConn has been struggling in the American. Hasn't made the tournament a whole lot of times. That was probably the biggest surprise in terms of a program falling off this decade.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good one. I'm gonna. You uh, Look, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I'm going to um, – let's see here. I'm going to pivot, and I'm going to say Arizona is a team to me that just – I mean, they, they've won 30 games, one, two, three, four, four times this decade. And they got to the Elite Eight back-to-back years, but I think Wisconsin took care of them both times. But since the middle of the decade, they haven't ever really threatened. They missed the tournament last year. They made the NIT at one point during the year. It's just Arizona to me always kind of struck me as the best team out west. And now they're just uh, I don't know. They're just kind of they're just another team. And I think they probably need to get rid of their coach. They got some sanctions and things like that. But Arizona and UConn, I think, are two good Programs that that probably need this decade to come to an end.
0: <laughs> and I got I got two teams on the flip side who grew the most, and I would say Butler, which I can't believe we haven't mentioned yet, with their two remarkable NCAA tournament runs in 2010 2011 back at the beginning of the decade. And the other one I got is Wichita State.
1: Yeah, obviously the two mid majors I think are are excellent to to look at there, and. Um... You know, I think you can also look at a Gonzaga as a team that they're yeah. they're no longer a plucky mid-major. They're expected to be in the conversation every single year. Um, Butler, I think, uh, leveled up pretty well, going from the Horizon League to the A ten to the Big East, and yeah. obviously Wichita State also moved up as well. So, um, I, I, I I it's hard for me to disagree with those two right there. I would I would love to see Gonzaga get into the Pac twelve. But it's, I mean, why would they? They win their conference every year. They, you know. But uh, I, I think that's, I think that's a good way of looking at it. I'm interested to see if Memphis can can get itself back into the national conversation with Penny Hardaway. After Derrick Rose left in 8 they've really kind of fallen on some hard times, and uh, it'll be be interesting to see them back as well.
0: Yeah. So I've got two other topics here. Uh, you mentioned your moment of the decade in college basketball with Spike Albrecht. Mine would be UMBC winning yeah. as a 16 seed, which I predicted on this podcast long time ago. Uh, so I'm pretty proud of you. Where were you
1: when it happened? Where, 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 do you have a good story about where you were when it happened?
0: <laughs> Not a great story. I was pretty sick uh, just with dealing with some health issues, but I had my sister over and her boyfriend and what was really funny about it was they're TCU students, so they were really pumped up to watch TCU, and TCU was in the tournament that year, and at a certain point, and TCU was playing a close game, I'm pretty sure, TCU ended up losing. I was watching UMBC on my laptop the whole time, and eventually, everyone that I was with, my mom... My sister, her boyfriend—they're just like we have to turn on UMBC. Forget TCU. We love the frogs. We can go little screen on the frogs, but we have to see this because this is college basketball history.
1: I was in Detroit for the first round of the NCAA tournament, and I think it was the—I'd been there all day. And the late game was Syracuse against somebody, and I was getting—it was getting tired. I was just like, you know what? I just want to drive home. It's a long drive. It's about four hours from Detroit. I'm like, I want to beat the traffic out of here. So I left at, of, uh, at halftime, I think, of that of that second game. Or the, uh, the last game, excuse me, the Syracuse game. And I'm listening to satellite radio, and, and they're talking about UMBC is up on Virginia. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. And then I go another 10 miles, and, <laughs> and they're still up. And they're still up. And so finally, I'm like, i I got to see this. So I pull over. I think, I don't remember where exactly it was, Plymouth, Michigan, or something something like that, and I, I find a hotel, and I run into the lobby, and I said, do you have a TV in the lobby? And I, they, I could hear the squeak of basketball shoes over the air, like around the corner. <laughs> their their hotel bar was closed, and but I see they've got like one screen, and I said, can I please have the remote and change the channel? They had no idea what I was doing, right? And so I find I get the game on, and I'm standing there in this lobby of this hotel, and I'm screaming at the TV, I like how <laughs> awesome this is! I'm jumping up and down, and they all think I'm more, and, and like I'm not staying there. I, they don't know who I am or anything like that. And the game ends, and I walk back. I give the remote back to the woman at the desk, and I'm like that was history we just saw right there. <laughs> and she had no no clue what was going on. So uh, I got in the car and. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I drew, I like floated home the rest of the way. I, I didn't, didn't care about UMBC, but I just thought it was so awesome that a 16 beat a one.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. I love that story. So my last question for you, and then we'll go to baseball coach of the decade.
1: Huh? Wow. Uh, that's a really, really good question. Uh, I think it's gotta be Jay Wright at Villanova.
0: Yeah, that was my pick as well.
1: Yeah, I just, I, you know, he did it with a couple different groups of guys, and I think that's that's kind of really the staying power. I kind of eliminate Patino and Shashevsky, and you know, and really the fact that Kentucky only won one national title is yeah. uh, almost a detriment to me there. Uh, I think Brad Stevens has got to be on the conversation as well, although he was only a coach in college for about half a decade. Um,
0: if that. I, you know, it was, it seemed like it was only like three or four years. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, Jay Wright, to me, would be the coach of the decade.
0: Yeah. If you were looking at who had the best of their two, three years, Brad Stevens, it was just such a remarkable, it was lightning in a bottle you know, and it happened twice. I just can't believe it happened. It was so, it was so cool. And you were, you were covering the horizon league at the time too.
1: Yeah. You know, and the, and the second year they needed to win the horizon league tournament to even make it to the NCAA tournament. You know, they were not, they were not very good that year. And, but you know, once you're in, anything can happen. It's about matchups. And those two tournament runs kind of run together in my mind now, you know, which year did they beat Pitt and all of that. And I, you know, I such a magical game against Duke, and then that game against UConn was so, such a, I mean, it was bad basketball. But still, <laughs> it was fun to watch, and I give a lot of grief to Butler because they won't play Valpo, and they were Valpo's rival for a while. And But at the same time, you, you really, you can't underscore what they did enough. But I think you also got to note that Bryce Drew and Scott Drew have combined to win their last five games over Butler as well, so... That's a good way to <laughs> good way to end the decade with the Butler Bulldogs.
0: Yeah, big one just a couple nights ago. Good game.
1: Great game. Great game.
0: All right, let's go to baseball, Paul, and I'll I'll get us started. I'll give you my infield and then I'll uh I'll let you go. Um you can react. Okay. And I need to preface this by giving my guidelines. So baseball, I thought since baseball you have a long career you play for a long time. I think you needed seven years in the big leagues to make this list. Okay. So that really, and I did a blog on this uh, last week, so I've worked pretty hard looking over these. This is the one I studied the closest. So that's tough. If you're Derek Jeter, you only had three, four years. I mean, even even Big Poppy, he only had six years in this decade. Without much further ado, I'll give you my infield I got Buster Posey behind the plate. I got first base Joey Votto. I've got Jose Altuve, Adrian Beltre, and then the last one, which Ooh. is one that I know a lot of people. What
1: a what a pick in <laughs> this last one!
0: Oh, Beltre! No,
1: no, I'm looking at your blog. I'm following along here, and uh, I see <laughs> I see that this is a fascinating pick at shortstop.
0: Yes. So here's the thing with shortstop again. With the shortstop group, it was like there was this group that came in and they were out by the middle of the decade. And that was Jeter. You got Johnny Peralta. You've got Jimmy Rollins. You've got, um, gosh, Placido Polanco comes to mind. So there were a lot of guys. It was like that group of shortstops were all phased out by the middle of the decade. And now, right now, we have this golden age of shortstops with Lindor and Correa and Bogarts. And you, you could just go down the list. It's an amazing, amazing group. In fact, there have been 11 shortstops that have been called up since 2014 that have already played in an all star game. That's not. So the thing is, neither of those groups had enough years in this decade. So I was looking at. Just really only three guys who played this whole decade. And those were Elvis Andrews, Andre Elton Simmons, and Brandon Crawford. And I ultimately went with Crawford because him and Simmons had the defense. But Crawford also made two All-Star games and won two World Series. It It was a tough one. It was really tough. I could have been persuaded on any three of those guys. But I don't really think anyone else really fit the bill for that. Well,
1: I don't want to give it away, but my shortstop—you haven't even mentioned yet. Okay. So, so I, you know, uh, you've got some excellent picks there. I agree with you on Buster Posey. I think he okay. uh, he goes uh, on the list. I think yadi Molina is the only other guy that is really kind of in conversation there. I like your pick of Votto. It was tough because my first baseman has played all around. I I went with with Miggy, Miguel Cabrera.
0: Yeah, and he actually made my list as a DH.
1: Yeah, so part of the reason I went with Miguel Cabrera is I play a lot of fantasy baseball, and I will play in only I play in American League only leagues or National League only leagues where he does so many different things: average, home runs, RBIs, runs scored, and really for a first baseman, he'd steal every now and again. So he was a five-tool guy, a five-category guy, and so to me, Miguel Cabrera was on that list. Um, you know, I went Robinson Cano over Altuve, but they were the same to me. Right. And I think you actually, uh, made a good point in your blog here where you say that, uh, Cano could be in the list, but Cano got busted for juicing and Altuve didn't. Um, I think numbers alone, Cano is my guy, but I think I love what Altuve gets out of his body. I think he's, he's excellent. Um, third base to Adrian Beltre for me, Nolan Arenado is the only other guy that I really kind of thought about too. um, Josh Donaldson has been a guy here and there, but he's just not really someone that stands out to me all that much. And, and Machado is another one that is a problem for me. So I went with Beltre, I, you know, it's especially you see like the, with Rendon signing with the angels this was interesting. I read it from two different perspectives. The Angels missed out on getting Beltray like nine years ago or whatever it was, and they have not really recovered since then. They haven't had a good third baseman since Troy Gloss, and they finally got one with Rendon. And then to hear John Daniels of the Rangers talk about how difficult it was to not get Rendon. I mean, he came out this morning, and he basically said, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It sucks that we didn't get Rendon and they, they've been trying to replace Adrian Beltray as well. So Beltray to me, is maybe one of the more underrated players of the entire decade, and so he goes there. And then finally, shortstop for me, um, aided, of course, by Coors Field, and he's faded a bit down the stretch because of injuries, but in the early part of the decade, they didn't get much better than Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah. So, so that was, but, uh, you know, I actually saw Brandon Crawford's, I think I saw his either his first career hit or his first career grand slam. One of the two, I mean, he's, he's always been a guy that I've enjoyed watching play. And I kind of swear under my breath every time I see him play. Cause he's beaten up my brewers a lot, but, uh, and Lindor is also maybe I, I love watching Lindor play. Uh, and, and, it, you know, was, my, my girlfriend is a big Cleveland Indians fan and she's having a hard time with the idea, that they might trade him. And there's a rumor, there's a package to the Dodgers for Gavin Lux and Dustin May that might be happening. And I tried to tell her the other day, I said, look, if they can get Lux and May from the Dodgers, that's that's great. And she said, I would rather have Frankie Lindor on my team forever. And uh, so yeah. I went to the whiskey, but Lindor is probably number two for me on this list.
0: Yeah, and I, I looked at it with Tulo Probably being, if you looked at who was at the very best at this position, I would say Tulo, But I, I was looking at the cumulative yeah, total, right. and he he missed a lot of games, uh, and so I had a tough time picking him, especially a shortstop. Where you just really need a guy who's going to play every day.
1: Yeah, I, I when he, I'll, I guess I'll put it this way: when Tulo was at his best, it was better than any other shortstop in baseball. Yeah, he just wasn't at his best all around. I overlooked that, and I put him on the list, but it's not a hill I'm willing to die on.
0: <laughs> Alright, let's do outfield, uh, and as you follow along, I'm sure my left field pick makes you happy. Christian Yelich makes the list.
1: Yeah, he's just... I, I wanted to put him on the list, but I'm probably... probably because of the fact that I am such a fan, I'd probably back off a bit. I do this a lot when I vote like for Valpo in the Valley or anything right. like that. Well, I'm not necessarily a fan of them. It's when you see them so much, you wonder, are do, do I talk myself into seeing things and maybe others don't. So Yelich to me was probably number four or five on my list. And, uh, and, but he's the one difference that you and I have because the other two outfielders are on my list as well.
0: Okay. And you, you want to say them?
1: Well Mike Trout is clearly the the best of the best, right there's no yeah. question about it. And then if we're talking about the total package in terms of maybe some offense and some defense, Andrew McCutcheon has been excellent and there was a moment there where where baseball wanted McCutcheon to no longer be the guy and then he he changed teams and he's been great and and he's kind of found a second a second career with the Phillies. Um and and God, what a awful injury that he suffered to end yeah. his season this past year when he was really playing lights out. And I think if McCutcheon doesn't get hurt, I think maybe the Phillies make the playoffs and not the nationals. And uh and and who knows what happens then. But you can blame that one on Gene Segura for not running out of ball and yeah. getting you know, McCutcheon. It was such a tough play to watch. But to me, Trout and McCutcheon are no brainers on the list and then you've got Yelich, and I've got a different guy here. Um, But I actually think I I picked three outfielders. You broke it up by position a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. So go ahead. Who's your other outfielder?
1: My third outfielder is a guy, and I can't even believe he's on the trading block right now. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. You need to sign this guy for as long as humanly possible. Mookie Betts of the Red Sox. And, but... You know, I again, I I might have cheated a little bit by just picking three outfielders as opposed to uh, to breaking them down by position. There.
0: Well, the other one was Betts got called up in 2014, so he would have just missed the cutoff in terms of being eligible for my list. But, yeah, so, yeah,
1: you had a, you had a bit of a different uh, different um, you know clientele there. Uh, talk to me about your outfield dishonorable mention.
0: <laughs> Ryan Braun uh, also, I, I put dishonorable mentions in there for the PED guys who got busted, and then uh, the Houston Astros front office.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. Look, I Ryan Braun, it's tough. I cheer for the Milwaukee Brewers. I cheer for the name on the front of the jersey and not necessarily the name on the back of the jersey, and it's it's hard, right? Like it, it when he makes good plays, and he—I mean, you—you're a Cubs fan, you know that he makes good plays against the Cubs. Yeah. I want to be happy. I'm happy that a Milwaukee Brewer did it. I'm not necessarily happy that Ryan Braun did it. I—I I thought a couple of years ago there was talk of trading him to the Dodgers for Yasil Puig, and I'd have been totally on board with that. And—and um, and that's saying a lot because Puig is no is no cup of. Sunshine the road yeah. either. But uh, I it's, it, I guess it's been nice to see Braun have a second act to his career, but it's really hard for me to justify him throwing a guy under the bus the way that he did. Um, I think a lot of guys in, in baseball have figured out a way to, to take advantage of some PED stuff. I mean, whether or not they're all using or whatever, but – I think if you get caught, own up to it, and he didn't, and that was the problem that I had with him. So I didn't even consider him for the list, despite the fact that he won the MVP and uh, and all of that. So And that was a long time ago, too, now. But, um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was funny you had him on your dishonorable mention <laughs> list. Here. And yep, there's another guy that you had on your honorable mention that was on mine, too, uh, Joey Bax. Jose oh, Bacusa. yeah what a great player and yeah.
0: uh and I people forget about him because he's fallen off
1: yeah but he when when he was if we're looking at like a four-year prime of the decade he's right there and um and so and then stanton was another one that you have and uh yeah there's a lot of good outfielders
0: yeah for sure i think we're on the same page with a lot of this stuff uh Who'd you pick for your DH if you went with Cabrera at first base? Because I've got him as my DH. Yeah,
1: I went with Nelson Cruz.
0: Oh yeah, great pick.
1: Yeah, just another... He
0: also got busted for PEDs. Yes,
1: he did. Yes, he did. Um, (laughs) And so, but I, you know, again, I come in a lot of baseball stuff with the fantasy baseball in mind, and high average, high home runs, high RBIs. Uh, He's kind of done it in obscurity. I mean, I don't really know that he's ever played in a and, uh, you know, played in Seattle, he played in Minnesota. It, what, what, what does his career look like if he played for the Yankees or the Red Sox? I think it's, uh, you know, maybe his average dips to two forty, but he hits 50 home runs. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I wonder if, I'm going to flip the script on you for a second. Um, I know that yeah. you kind of have this seven year window, but is there uh is there a player on your list who's just got a tantalizingly amount of talent that has shown glimpses but hasn't really fully delivered? Because I've got one in mind for me uh, in the, at least the latter half of the decade.
0: Okay, so someone who's not on my list?
1: Someone who's not on your list, a guy who has shown some flashes but yet okay. also is not quite there
0: yet. Well, I would say the big one is Bryce Harper in terms of Bryce Harper had an amazing MVP year and then he had another really good year before he hurt his knee but other than that you just haven't seen the consistency with him
1: yeah well he turned he turned a 240 average into a lot of money uh so Harper's <laughs> a great a great one Aaron Judge is a guy that I was kind of thinking about as somebody who mm. who I really don't know what the next decade is going to bring for Aaron Judge right as as maybe as I sit in the NBA and I think, what will Zion Williamson look like 10 years from now? I wonder, maybe more than any other player, what will Aaron Judge look like 10 years from now? Will will he be a flash on the pan, or will he be one of the all-time greats? I have no idea.
0: That's a good point. I'm a big Judge fan. I think he's going to have a good career. But, uh, yeah, he's only logged three years, so he's definitely a guy. I mean, if you remember ESPN, the magazine used to do Who's Next? Maybe he but, fits oh, into that the, category. Yeah.
1: No, I agree. I agree. So starting pitchers, I, we're pretty much in the same spot on this. I, Kershaw, Scherzer, and Verlander, are. Were, I, I only listed three, and those were the
0: three. Okay.
1: And then my four and five would have been Bumgarner and Greinke, and those. And and I don't want to give it away, but those are your five, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think I would have to put Bumgarner. Really, I think Kershaw and Bumgarner. If I could only pick two, those would be my two, just because you got the guy who's been the best in the regular season and the best in the postseason. And I think the other thing is I think Kershaw's playoff struggles have been overstated a little bit. I don't think he's as horrible as people seem to make him out to be. I mean, he shut down the Cubs at Wrigley in 2016 and pitched an amazing game. He's had some big moments in the playoffs. And on the flip side of that, I also think Bumgarner's been a lot better in the regular season than he's been given credit for.
1: Well, the interesting guy for me, um, was, and I think you mentioned this a bit too in your blog is, uh, is Verlander is a guy who was pretty much left for dead midway through the decade, right? His his velocity had dropped considerably and he looked like he, he, he looked like he was just going to be a guy Verlander looked like he was going to become what Adam Wainwright ended up becoming. Just kind of a name yeah. that wasn't really a great pitcher anymore, but Verlander rediscovered something, you know, and uh, and and he is as every bit as good today as he was in the early part of the decade when we thought there for a bit he was going to fall off. And Adam Wainwright's a guy who probably at the midway point of the decade I'd have told you was a shoe in for this list later on. And he is falling apart.
0: Yeah, that's a good comparison. Um, you want to talk about relievers, or did you have any other thoughts on starters? No, I mean I
1: think the starting pitchers are pretty are pretty much uh, are pretty much where they're at. Um, yeah, you know, I think relie- it's pretty easy. Yeah, relievers is uh, you know for me, I really liked um, Kenley Jansen is just such a lockdown. Guy and then yeah. Craig Kimbrell. Uh those two are, are excellent. Um I imagine there's another one out there that I, I I just I can't I can't mention him.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll say his name, but we won't get into anything beyond that. Um and that's Euralis Chapman. Uh really I mean helped the Cubs win a World Series, came up clutch, uh high velocity, peaking at 103 fastball and that really I mean this was a decade where velocity was increased the role of the reliever was increased I thought these three guys in terms of performance really stood out most um, among their peers
1: yeah I they're they're the best of the best without question Um, I what was when did Papelbon fade away
0: Middle of the decade. Yeah. I mean, when, maybe when he choked out Bryce Harper in the in the dugout.
1: <laughs> so he, here's here's an interesting one for you. Uh, Andrew Miller is a guy yeah. that that I really like. As uh, he hasn't always been a closer, so he gets lost in it a little bit. But those those couple years there with the Indians, he was as dominant as dominant gets. And uh, and 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 David Robertson's another one who has danced around a couple different teams. These guys have not always been closer. So we forget about them a little bit, but those two guys I think would make uh, certainly my 25 man roster for the decade.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I would, I would agree
1: with you on that. Decent, decent relievers. I, the closer position has been so, has been so changed in the last 20 years that it, you know, I, Look, there, there's another guy who I wonder 10 years from now, what we'll be talking about. Josh Hader is another one who,
2: mm, yeah. you know, and,
1: and I think about guys like Hader, Chapman, guys when they came up, you thought were going to be starters. And they have they have been... Andrew guess,
0: Miller as well.
1: Andrew Miller, yeah. They've been transitioned into, into the bullpen. And I wonder how much more effective they've been from that. Could Hader do this for seven innings in a game? could Miller do it for seven innings in a game? Chapman regularly touching 100, could he do that for seven innings in a game? And maybe the answer is no, and that's why they've been the most dominant relievers in the game.
0: Well, Miller, they tried to make him a starter, and then he ended up blossoming in the bullpen. So some guys, I mean, I think a big key is how many pitches do they have they can throw effectively because you need to have – at least three pitches as a starter, maybe four pitches, and a lot of these relievers only got two.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. It's a great point.
0: All right, people might disagree with me. Maybe it's because I just love baseball so much. I thought this was a really fun decade in Major League Baseball. We put the... Oh, it's
1: great. It's
0: great that. Yeah, we put the Mitchell Report behind us. We got five World Series Game 7s. It was super competitive it was the opposite of the NBA in terms of there wasn't a dominant team. And you could argue till the cats come home if dominance is good or bad. But I mean, I think in the local markets, baseball was dominant in terms of popularity. Now, maybe not on the national stage quite as much. But I mean, there was just so many young guys that came in in the middle of this decade um, who are so marketable that are, you can build this league around moving forward the judges the chris bryants the uh, harper came up in the beginning of the decade uh trout just so many exciting young players um i thought it was a really fun decade and we got some great moments out of it as well
1: yeah just i'm looking back through the world series obviously the giants in the early part of the decade and, Yeah, and for what bruce bochi did was was excellent um you know the Dodgers getting close but not close enough uh, w- was was big, and and really for my money, Cubs Indians are the greatest World Series I think we'll ever see, and yeah, and I, I don't even like the Cubs, right? And <laughs> but that that so it's like that one went seven, and I remember everything about it. That Astros Dodgers World Series the next year goes seven. That series was amazing the giants Royal series went seven and I, I don't remember much of that series at all. Right. And it just doesn't have a lot of staying power with me. Um, but you're right. We have had, you know, amazing, especially the the latter part of, of the last decade when we saw sweeps in three out of four years and the two other years, you know, then, then there was a couple five game series. They've been a lot more competitive here in the last 10 years. So, so, the World Series has been great. The playoff implications, I love those wild card games.
0: Um, yeah. I'm a purist. That was I'd a great rather, addition in this decade, too.
1: I, I'm a purist. I'd rather see things happen a little bit differently. But at the same time, you know, I, I do appreciate where we're at. Um, I hate interleague play with every fiber of my being um, because I love – like when I was a kid – and the A's played the Dodgers. Actually, when the A's played the Giants in the World Series in 89, it was so amazing to see those teams match up against each other because you never got to see them play during the regular season. So the stubborn aspect of me wants to see two expansion teams go to 16 in each league and never have interleague play. And then, you know, let's hope for a Cubs-White Sox World Series.
0: Yeah, I think, really, the interleague play. We got way more with the Astros going out to the AL West, which I think needed to happen. You had to balance out the leagues, but now, as you mentioned, if with 15 teams in each league, someone has to play someone in the other league all the time, and I think we have too much of it. As a kid, we used to get interleague play in the 2000s, and I thought it was the coolest thing just in... It'd be around June... Uh, early July for about a month, and you get maybe five or six matchups. And it was a showcase type of thing. It was really special. I actually saw the Red Sox at Wrigley the year after they won the World Series, and it was one of the coolest things to see those two teams. And now it means nothing. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm on the same page with you as a, on that.
1: I, and I'm, I guess I'm not saying get away with from it completely. I guess it would be cool if there was, you know, a series every year between the Cubs and the White Sox, the Yankees and the Mets, the Brewers and the Twins, the, you know, teams that can, that can match up there. Um, You know, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot for a second here. If we were to ever expand again in baseball, what are the two cities that should get a team that don't have one right now?
0: First one comes to mind. I'd say Nashville.
1: Yeah. That's a great one.
0: And maybe Charlotte.
1: Yeah. I think those are two great, two great, great cities right there. Um, Mm I, it was, what do you think? Uh, I think Vegas would be obviously make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think Vegas and Nashville are the two for me that would make would make the most sense there.
0: So uh, I mean, even like something like Buffalo, if they put it in a dome, I think you could get a really good turnout from that fan base. I mean, in the South, San Antonio baseball's big in the South, so I think there are a lot of good options.
1: Yeah, I, I, v- Vegas, obviously, I think if there's ever expansion in any other league, it's yeah. always going to be Vegas first because of how yep. how accepted sports gambling is now. Um, and then, uh, you know, but I love the idea of national, as you said.
0: So, Another World Series that you actually didn't mention, I don't think, was a 2011 World Series where the Cardinals had that amazing comeback story. Yeah,
1: David Therese, yeah.
0: I know that's a a sore spot for you as a Brewers fan, but Cardinals had a great year, came back from really, they were like 10 games out at the start of like in the middle of August or the end of August, they were 10 games out and they got in and it was so remarkable. David Fries, and if you want to talk about a player who was just unbelievable for two, three years in this decade, Josh Hamilton was unlike anything I had ever seen before from around 2010 to 2012.
1: That home run derby was, I I was just mesmerized watching it. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It was so, so amazing. Uh, I forget what year that was. That might even been a little bit. That bad. was 08. 08, yeah. I knew it was, I, I just remembered where I was living when that happened. I'm like, well, wait, that was a different decade. But yes, Josh Hamilton. <laughs> great, great story. And a guy from the Cardinals that was on those teams back then, who had kind of a similar career arc, is uh, Ankeel as well. Uh, yeah. Ankeel was just such a fun player to watch and obviously battled the the yips a little bit, a couple demons there. But, man, what a player. What a fun guy to watch.
0: Yeah, the natural, really. He was Roy Hobbs.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Manager of the decade. We're, I think we're both on board for Bochi. Yeah. I,
1: you know, yeah, he'd, he'd be the guy... Um, I don't think there's really any question that that, that he is the one. and I struggle to even come up with who would be a number two, and I just don't know that there's anyone who did it as consistent as Bruce Bochy.
0: Yeah, and when I mentioned, I said earlier, there wasn't the same kind of dominance in this sport as there was in the NBA. The Giants did win three World Series. However, it wasn't like you went into the season, you're like, oh, you know who's going to win this year? San Francisco Giants.
1: And they did it every other year, which I just thought was interesting that, yeah. uh, you know, they, and it's not like they lost in the world series, just every other year they got there. And, and so, and he did it with different guys too. And, uh, so three in a five year period, it's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. Okay. Best moment of the decade for you, Paul.
1: Oh man. Um,
0: I mean, you know what I'm gonna say. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean that game seven in the 2016 World Series is pretty amazing. It's it's a hard it's hard to top that. I think, even as someone who's not a Cubs fan, everything <laughs> that went into that game, and it doesn't even come down to the final play for me. I think you know, I, I think of the Rajay Davis home run. I think of this it was a Zobrist who got the hit. Um, yep. I just that whole game. Was amazing. I'll never forget watching that game.
0: Yeah, I really need to get the DVD because my mom right now is just so upset with the Cubs, and I'm right now I'm just like, please don't trade anyone. Please don't trade Chris Bryant. That's a story for another day. But I just want to rewatch that DVD like once every like couple of months over the off season of the Game Seven because it's just so great. I would say the the moment of the decade for me. Uh, if you're pin it to one moment would definitely be Chris Bryant recording that last out, especially just considering he had, I thought he should have been the sportsman of the year that year. He won MVP. He was the best player on the Cubs when they won the world series and really just a great story of a guy that they drafted, um, who grew up into the superstar. And it still just blows my mind that there's so many Cubs fans. that are so quick to want to trade him right now. Um, Really hope that doesn't happen.
1: The number two moment of the year was when I got the alert on my phone that the Milwaukee Brewers traded for Christian Yelich, and uh, yeah. and spending that entire day reading Brewers fans complaining about the deal. I can't believe we traded Luis <laughs> Brinson, Can't believe we traded Luis Ortiz. And um, yeah, that turned out that turned out okay. So um, <laughs> no, I obviously Cubs against Indians, Game Seven, amazing, amazing. Uh, maybe actually my number two is probably that. That Astros Dodgers series that they had that ridiculous game, um, yeah, where they ran out of ads. Thirteen to twelve, the game five game, thirteen to twelve. Yeah, that was uh, that was amazing. That was uh, just everything about that game. George W. Bush threw out the first pitch. Um, his father George H. W. Bush handed him the ball. Uh, that was just that was an amazing amazing game, and you know, for the Dodgers scored three runs in the top of the ninth. And then that he was just, what a, what a game. Oh, a lot of fun. So yeah, five hours and seven minutes long.
0: It was so cool. And the, uh, they ran out of ads, so they didn't give out any free ads. So then Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were just, or sorry, Joe Buck and, uh, John Smoltz were just staying there. They just kept talking. And by the way, Underrated decade for Joe Buck. I like Joe Buck. I think he had a great decade. I
1: think he's great. In terms of think, all the stuff he covered. I think people who who hate on Joe Buck are, to, to quote Sam Darnold, are seeing ghosts out there. I think a lot of times people <laughs> who don't like Joe Buck think they hear things that aren't really there, right? I, I deal with this with my Green Bay Packers friend, uh, fan friends, who – Oh, Joe Buck hates us. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? No, he doesn't hate anybody. He's a good broadcaster, right? And uh, yeah, so um, broadcaster of the year, our broadcaster of the decade will go to Tony Romo. And and, and once we get to the NFL, (laughs) we can talk more about that.
0: Yeah, well, we're right here. How about this? Uh, Give me your, if you want to do this, color commentator and play-by-play Man or woman of the decade, Adam Amin. <laughs> Good pick.
1: Yeah, valpozone and Adam Amin. Uh, I truly love yeah. listening to everything that he uh, that he puts together. But I'll tell you this: when I watch Tony Romo in football, I am smarter about the game of football than I was before the game started. And that's that's all you want. That's what you want for in a color. That's what I want in a color commentator. I want to. I want to know why they're doing things that they're doing. And that playoff game, the Chiefs Patriots playoff game, when Romo was calling out everything, I just I saw the game in a different light than I ever had before. So kudos to Tony Romo.
0: Yeah. I'm with you for Romo and I would go uh Kevin Harlan in terms of play by play.
1: Yeah, without without you know, he's he's amazing. Right. He is just
0: absolutely
1: uh he's understated when he needs to be and he is electric when he needs to be. Love Kevin Harlan.
0: Yeah. All right, Paul, let's, uh, let's do the NFL part of this section. Uh, and then actually, if we have any, anything else at the end of the show, I did prepare an NHL list. I don't know how big of a hockey guy. I don't, I
1: don't, I don't have anything
0: for
1: you. Uh, I, I could I could be surprised if i have heard of all of the guys that you mentioned.
0: <laughs> well, um, that could be a fun exercise when we're done with the NFL. We'll run through okay. that quickly. But let's do the NFL. You want to talk about the offensive guys that you were looking at for this list? Or do you want me to go? Yeah.
1: No, I, I mean, look, it's, it's got to be Tom Brady. As much as I want it to be Aaron Rodgers, it's got to be yeah. Tom Brady. The guy wins, he wins, and he wins. Um, is he the sexiest in the way he does it? Not always but he's somehow always there. Uh, to, to quote the Patriots, he does his job. And uh, Rodgers is really, really good, but when Rodgers isn't good, it's really bad. And Brady has not gotten to that point yet. So for me, at quarterback, it's Tom Brady.
0: Isn't it funny how we started this decade with the conversation of which guy was the better quarterback? And people were like, oh yeah, Brady's done. And he's not done.
1: No, he's not done, and and he won't be done for a while. Um, yeah. And you can think the NFL rules for that a little bit too. The quarterbacks are protected more than they ever have been before. Um, but he's he's excellent, and I don't yeah. really know why he's excellent because he never has good receivers. He never has, you know, you know. It's just he's, but he gets it done. Um, yeah, running back. Uh, Adrian Peterson, to me, you know, he he was so good early in the decade, and uh, he's still kicking now. I think if there's one running back in this decade that stood out to me um, as a pure game changer, it was Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. So those two there, if we look at a pair of wide receivers, he's a train wreck this year, but Antonio Brown, was excellent. And while this guy has gone years without catching a touchdown, Julio Jones has been amazing. Right. Um, So those two guys, and then maybe Larry Fitzgerald would be right there on that list as well for me. And then tight end Gronkowski. And I, I, there's a pretty severe drop off after for me. So in terms of skill position, guys, those are those are my five
0: That's a good pick. I actually ended up with uh at receiver I went Antonio Brown and Larry Fitzgerald. Actually, I had Julio Jones as number 4. I I went Calvin Johnson at number 3.
1: Yeah, yeah. He walked away a little early. Um and but he was as good. He made a very bad Lions team, not as bad. <laughs>
0: Made playoffs at least once with him. So, that's something. That's right. My guidelines for the NFL, I really, I thought you only needed to log four or five years because it's not the same sport as Major League Baseball, where these guys, Major League Baseball, guys get a million chances where they bounce around and they can play in the minors and they can come back. Where the NFL, really, guys' careers can end so quickly, one injury or whatever, So I thought you only need four or five years. So I didn't have too many strict rules for this list. Um, I got Brady, I got AP, I've got Gronk, and then I don't know if you listed any offensive linemen, but I did one tackle, one guard, one center. with Joe Thomas, Zach Martin, and Marquise Pouncey. Yeah, uh, well,
1: you know, Joe Thomas is on the list for me. I think probably because I watch him a lot, David Bakhtiari was on that list for me. Um, Zach Martin. Yeah. As a guard. Pouncey is amazing. And then the guy from, is it from Baltimore? Marshall Yanda. Yeah. And, uh, has been, you know, the guys that really kind of stand out and the guy too, David DeCastro of yep. uh, the Steelers. And, and really he played a, a great, you know, he was, tried to defuse that fight the other day. And, uh, and so I, you know, I like, I like those guys a lot and offensive linemen are almost always going to be criminally underrated, but, uh, you know, Pouncey is another one too. I mean, you think about how dominant the Steelers have been, um, you know, part of it's the guys they've had playing there.
0: Yeah. I really think that Le'Veon Bell, part of his success, I'm not going to say all of it. I mean, I guess, This is kind of a vanilla take, but I really don't think the offensive line and the Steelers' run blocking got enough credit for his success.
1: No, I agree. And you obviously see James Conner has been excellent as well. And uh, and a lot of that is, I mean, are they system running backs? I mean, Le'Veon Bell hasn't done a lot with the Jets. Uh, Mm, He has not. So on the defensive side, I thought this was pretty easy, actually. Yeah, uh, same. JJ Watt is obviously a defensive end, and uh, you know there was it was it was between two guys for me on the other end spot. Um, Julius Peppers and Demarcus Ware are are two just excellent defensive ends that uh, I, I I went with Peppers probably because of the hometown guy, um, but <laughs> uh, defensive tackle Aaron Donald's the best in the game without question. And I, you know, I guess this, this now is, are we running a three, four or are we running a four, three?
0: Well, what I did was I basically just said, all right, I put JJ Watt as my defensive end. And I didn't think there was anyone that really was that close to him. So he was really the only guy I honored, I guess. Yeah. then defensive tackle, I put Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue because Sue was, also dominant in the first part of the decade. And then for linebackers, I didn't I didn't mess around with edge rushers versus middle linebackers. I just listed three linebackers.
1: Yeah, I, I've got three linebackers as well with the possibility of a fourth if we were going. So who are your linebackers? All
0: right, I've got Luke Kuechly, Cleo um, Mack, and Von Miller.
1: Okay, uh, so I've got two of the three. Um, I've got uh, Kuechly, Khalil Mack, and Bobby Wagner uh, as well. And then Terrell Suggs as my fourth linebacker.
0: No Clay Matthews.
1: Love to hate him, hate to love him. (laughs) He was really good for a while, and then I thought his inability to get better crushed the team. And now you're seeing him with the Rams being the player I wanted him to be with the Packers the last couple of years. And uh, it's tough to watch because he's still really good. And he, uh, where was that the last two years of the Packers? Frustrating for me. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've got so I've got two corners and an honorable mention. What would you do for corners?
1: Uh, Richard Sherman and Darrell Revis.
0: So actually, I went with Revis and Patrick Peterson.
1: Yeah, no, Peter, yeah. That's good. Good pick there.
0: Not not that Pro Bowls are the end-all, be-all because the fans determine a lot of it, but Sherman had four Pro Bowls this decade and Patrick Peterson had eight. I think Peterson's been a little underrated down there in Phoenix uh, with that Arizona team that really only put together, what, like one uh, remarkable year this decade that was worth noting?
1: Yeah, Peterson's also a really good returner as well. Um, he's done a little bit of everything. I, you know, I, I don't have any arguments there. Sherman at his best was amazing. And I like watching Richard Sherman being able to kind of reinvent himself a bit with the 49ers. So I think that's probably the fact he's been able to do it for so long. has been great at a high, you know, on the biggest stage, whereas Peterson, um, you know, He's been really the only guy on that team, so you don't hear about him as much. Uh, Akib Tlaib is a fourth, yeah. fourth for me. On
0: that. Yeah, he had a great decade.
1: And then safety, staying with a legion of boom, Earl Thomas.
0: Yep, he uh, was the, one of my safeties. safeties
1: and then uh, you could argue between Harrison Smith and Eric
0: Berry on the other two. So I actually, I went with neither, and I have a homer pick here. Okay, I went with Troy Polamalu. Ah, okay. Yeah,
1: that's a good one.
0: Because, and here's where, you know, he was, I think 2014 was his last year. Um, He made multiple Pro Bowls over his five years. I think he had three. One, he was the Defensive Player of the Year. And really, I mean, if you look at, this is kind of like the one-year type of thing. But, I mean, Polamalu had a great career, and he did have multiple years like this. But the 2010 year where the Steelers won the, the AFC and actually lost to your Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl, I'll uh, give you a little credit there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh Polamalu, the Tasmanian devil, he was just he was must see TV every single week where he was jump, he was counting the snap and jumping over the line and pushing him back on place. He was doing stuff that I had never seen a safety do in this league. So there is some bias involved here. Um, And he only played half this decade, but I really wanted to fit him onto this list.
1: (laughs) No, he's excellent. There's, there's no, no argument there. Eric Lettle is another one who's really been good over time. So um, this, the safety position, we've been blessed to see a great decade of safety play.
0: Yeah, for sure. He also, Polamalu did get defensive player of the year one year. And I think he, there was another year where I think Clay Matthews got it, and I want to say Polamalu was second or third in voting that year as well. So he came he came very close a second time.
1: Yeah, and there's there was an argument that Polamalu probably should have had it that year, and obviously I wasn't upset about it. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, good uh, good good battle between those two guys.
0: Yeah both guys with uh very long great flowing hair
1: yeah absolutely I, absolutely i think both you and i would kill for that hair <laughs>
0: hey I, I got some of it i i had some long hair like that in college and eventually it was like you, you're gonna have to cut that if you want to get a job
1: absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh did you do special teams kicker punter
0: I didn't. I mean, I guess if if I were to think of Kicker off the top of my head, I'd just say Justin Tucker. Um, But I want to hear your list.
1: Yeah, Justin Tucker would be the one for me. Uh, Very few people know he is like a classically trained opera singer. Yeah. Uh, There's a great piece on HBO Real Sports about Justin Tucker. It was amazing. And then Punter for me is, uh, I mean, it's hard to not pick Pat McAfee because of how hilarious he is. But Johnny Hecker always is a risk to do the fake punt because he's got a great arm, and so uh, that 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 would be the one that I would look at.
0: What team was he on? This is where this is where I struggle. The Rams.
1: the Rams. The Rams.
0: Okay. Yes, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, that's a good pick. I like that pick. So there's our NFL team. How about that?
1: There. Yeah. Yeah. There. And uh, it's interesting. To think that I just picked an all NFL team with maybe one Green Bay Packer, David Bocciari, <laughs> and uh, but you know it is what it is. Hasn't been a great decade.
0: <laughs> well, I I did do three Steelers. I got uh, a B in there, and I got um, Pouncy in there as well with Paul Amalu. That's fair. That's fair. Yes. Yeah, but you got you got the Super Bowl that we wanted this decade. So
1: yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough one for the Steelers there. Tough
0: one for the Steelers. So. Yeah, Sean, Sean Sweejam is not making my list uh, after that game.
1: <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. NHL, uh, I'll be curious to see if I actually know any of these players, but you might have a couple more NFL questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we could do coach of the decade. It's hard to go against Belichick.
1: Yeah, without – I mean, it's Belichick.
0: And uh, we can look back on this era. I mean, the NFL – Still going strong. I think in the middle years of this decade, uh, there was a lot of, you know, it took a hit with some of the concussion stuff. People at the start of this decade, there were so many people, oh, football is going to die in the 2010s and the NBA is going to surpass the NFL. But I mean, you, you saw that picture last year, the NFL draft of how many people were lined up in the streets of Nashville. For the NFL draft, which you know I don't find to be a very exciting uh, TV event, some people do, but the NFL is going strong. NFL is still king in the sports world.
1: I watch uh, the NFL draft sun up to sundown every year. Uh, Absolutely love it. I absolutely love it Um, every year. People want to predict that the NFL is going to uh, gonna fade away, and it's just not gonna happen. So. Um, moment of the decade. Uh, do you have one?
0: Yeah. The first one that comes to mind for me is Malcolm Butler's interception.
1: Yep. That was the one that I had that, that that moment. Um, you know, I really, I think you could kind of put all of the Patriots victories, you know, in, in one pile here. Um, that you know because they hadn't won one in so long yeah uh, the interception then the comeback against the Falcons and James White scoring <sighs> yeah. at the end and then the absolute decimation of Sean McVay's offense last year uh the Patriots have won three Super Bowls three different ways um and uh you know to me that was uh that was big um Seattle's just demolishing of Denver in the Super Bowl yeah. in uh, in 2014 was great. The power going out in the Ravens' 49ers Super Bowl. And then the David Tyree catch. Actually, no, that was last decade, right?
0: Yeah, but the Manningham catch was this decade. The Manningham
1: catch, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, yeah, we've been blessed with a really excellent uh, – I mean, the Super Bowls have been great, right? Six of the ten, or six of the nine so far this decade, have been one possession games. It's been great.
0: Yeah, and last decade wasn't quite the case because you got like the there was the Bucks year where they blew out the Raiders, and then the Steelers blew out the Seahawks with some of those questionable calls. And I mean, there was that Cardinal Steelers game, which was a great game. One of the great. It seemed like you had to get the Patriots into the Super Bowl to get the great game, but now we're getting the great games even without the Patriots there.
1: I agree. I agree. I'd
0: say the best game was definitely a twenty-eight to three comeback, and I'm not a Patriots hater at all. I love Tom Brady. He's, I think, the best. If you wanted to say who was the athlete of the decade, I think you could go with Tom Brady, in terms of team sports, and the fact that we would say. Tom Brady's the quarterback of the decade for the twenty tens, and I would assume that you would also have him for the previous decade. We're looking at the the quarterback of the new millennium for twenty years. It's just unbelievable.
1: No, I I, I agree. It's uh it it's been a fun decade, it's been a fun run. It's been it's been unbelievable to watch. It's been uh can't wait to see what the next ten years brings. <laughs>
0: All right, I'll run through this NHL list real quick. I have Sidney Crosby, Patrick Kane, Alex Ovechkin, uh, Drew Dowdy on the Kings, Eric Carlson as my defenseman, and then at goalie, I've got Henrik Lundqvist.
1: The first four, I knew what teams they played for. The last three, not so much. But uh, I'll, (laughs) I'll tell you this. Hockey has always been tough for me. I was a kid when they built the Bradley Center in Milwaukee and the idea that the, the Pettit family was going to bring in an NHL team to be in the same building as the Bucks they they built the Bradley Center for this and the Dal- the uh, Minnesota North Stars were moving and they were going to come to Milwaukee and then they went to Dallas instead and I was a kid when this happened and I thought well to heck with hockey who needs it and I've just never Never gotten into it.
0: That makes sense. I mean that that's not quite like the Seattle Supersonics leaving you for good and losing a franchise, but I it, I would understand why that experience would really turn you off to it because you just wouldn't have any real reason to be invested.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, it was difficult to you know, and I I tried. I bought the sticker books when I was younger. I tried to force myself into being a fan. When the San Jose Sharks came along, I said, ooh, an fran- expansion team. I'll be a fan of them. That didn't take. I tried the Mighty Ducks, um, you know, it, uh, to this day. And and now, to an extent, I do like the Golden Knights, partially because a friend of mine's husband plays for them. But
0: uh, Oh, sweet.
1: Yeah, Derek Engelvin uh, I believe is how I say. His yeah. Name, is, uh, and, and really, when they came about, I was in Vegas a week after the shooting, Uh, for their home opener. didn't go to the game, but we watched it, you know, right outside the arena. And uh, so I'm a big, uh, big Golden Knights fan. And, um, and so to an extent, right? Like, I mean, I hope they do well partially because I know it irritates a lot of Blackhawks fans and uh, anything I can (laughs) get under their skin is a lot of fun. So (laughs)
0: we don't, we didn't do lists for this, but we could talk about college football for a couple minutes here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I think that watching – you know, I I was was trying to come up with who – like off the top of my head who it could be, and then I wanted to say Tebow, but then I think Tebow was probably the last decade.
0: Yeah, 09 was his senior year.
1: Yeah. Um, Who would be your player of the the decade?
0: Oh, player. Oh, my goodness. That's tough. Well, I I was thinking in terms of quarterbacks. I mean, we won't go through the whole list, but – three quarterbacks that jump out to me, Deshaun Watson, uh, Case Keenum, and uh, gosh, there was another guy I had in mind. Those, those two, though, jump out to me. Case Keenum was setting records at Houston. He was an at amazing Houston, yeah. college player.
1: So Deshaun Watson would be my pick, I think. Um, and, you know, I, I was thinking about running back. Derrick Henry was so good at Alabama. He won the Heisman Trophy. And then I looked at his numbers, and then I just looked at Jonathan Taylor's numbers from this year. Jonathan Taylor had better numbers than Derrick Henry, and Jonathan Taylor didn't even get invited to New York. Wow. And, and I mean, you know, but I think about, like, best running backs. They've almost – I mean, Wisconsin has, has gone from Monte Ball to Melvin Gordon to Jonathan Taylor. They have just consistently had a star running back for the entire decade.
0: It's impossible for me to hear the name Jonathan Taylor and not think of Randy from Home Improvement. Jonathan no, Taylor be, Thomas. Well, JTT, Jonathan <laughs> Taylor Touchdown. Yeah, JTT. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was thinking Christian McCaffrey in terms of running back.
1: Yeah, I know McCaffrey's up there as well, yeah, without question. Amari Cooper, maybe one of the better run, wide receivers we've seen in college football. Over yeah, the
0: last, I'd agree with uh, that.
1: Um. You know, but yeah, I, I don't really know. I mean, Alabama's clearly the team of the decade. Yeah. And, and Cle- Clemson probably number two.
0: Yeah, definitely. Those two. I think why we should talk about college football is the fact that this was the first decade finally got the playoff. And I was so excited to have the playoff. And I think it's, I think it's been great. I'd like to expand it.
1: Yeah. I, I think this year in particular, what we're going to see is, uh, I think you know we got three undefeated teams so the playoff is doing <laughs> what it needs to do right exactly um, and you know it I, Oklahoma's probably going to win the national championship because that would be what makes sense right um, you know the team that probably <laughs> shouldn't even be in the top 4 um, although I mean like I don't know who number 4 would be right like, I'm not saying that there's another team more deserving I'm saying that these top 3 are so far and above everybody else that it wouldn't surprise me if Jalen Hurts just rolled through uh, LSU and then uh, you know, somehow gets Clemson or Ohio State in the title game.
0: Yeah. It's been a good decade for college football too, though. I mean, we've had some good playoff games. I think the one thing that would have made this decade more exciting for people is if we got a little more fresh blood into the college football playoffs. So I think Alabama missing this year. Is going to be a good thing because I think I'm not anti dynasty. Like I love seeing the Patriots, but I think part of it is it's good when you have the same players in there every year because they're recognizable. But in college football, it's not. You don't have the same roster. There's so many guys moving up to the pros every year. So that would be my thought in terms of this decade, I guess.
1: My, uh, you had dishonorable mention. Of Ryan Braun uh, earlier, let me uh, let me end my whole thoughts on on this whole podcast. We've been going for almost two hours. Yeah, on the dishonorable mention for me, the biggest problem that I've seen in college football was, look, the playoff is giving us what we needed to, right? There's no question. That said, when Central Florida goes undefeated, and isn't even in conversation for the play. This was, what, last year, I think? when Two
0: years in a row, actually, they went undefeated. So,
1: so you know, their whole, they, they beat Auburn, and Auburn beat Alabama thing or whatever two years ago or whatever that deal was. They claimed the national championship. Fine. we can, That's a whole other issue. But last year, there was such a rabid debate about that fourth spot in the playoffs. No one could really figure out who it was supposed to go to, yada, yada, yada. And the teams they were debating undefeated central Florida wasn't even in the conversation. And here's my problem in the NC NCAA basketball. You can, if you win your conference tournament, you can get in right. You know, you can, everybody has a shot to win the national championship. Now, most of those teams, don't really have like Chicago state is never making it right. They're never getting there, but they lose on the field to do that. Right. Central Florida, not even being allowed to be in the conversation. What do you want them to do? They schedule. I mean, they play who's in their conference. They play who's on like, they, they try their best to schedule. And when you put a system in place that doesn't allow, like Alabama's not playing central Florida, right? Like, Um, I just thought it was a black eye on on college football and the whole process in general. And while we have had a good decade of college football, a lot of it has felt a little empty to me because of the fact that at the beginning of the year, there are only X amount of teams that can win this thing. And if you go undefeated, you're not allowed to be in conversation for the national championship. In a year last year, when there weren't four star teams, that was a problem for me.
0: I wholeheartedly agree with you, Paul. And I think that's a great place to close this decade. I mean, I just think they definitely need to do something about that. And there's so many things that these sports can improve upon. That's definitely one of the big ones. NCAA as a whole, uh, there's a lot of other things that could be corrected there. But I think, yeah, I totally agree. And that's, I would love to just see let's cut out these a couple of these non-conference games. Let's get rid of Alabama playing the Citadel. And let's get 16 teams in there. Let's, get, let's give these teams a chance and let them lose on the field instead of their defeat coming from the perception of people who haven't even played college football who are picking this stuff.
1: I agree with you. I agree. Hey, I had a great time. I think uh, we realized that we had a fun year fun decade excuse me a fun decade of sports and as we've got you know about 19 19 18 days left in this decade can't wait to see what happens next
0: yeah me neither paul thank you so much for joining me today he's paul Loren from northwest indiana times union street hoops podcast uh what are you working on right now that people should be checking out
1: uh, you know, I, I found this excellent article a couple of days ago, um, about, uh, I don't even remember where I saw it. I've been battling this head cold. So like my memory has been going in and out, I want to say it was on the athletic and I think it was about the Pacers and I got to go back and find it, but it was this article about, they did a, a little segment on each player called the best shot they've ever hit in a game. What was the biggest shot they ever hit? So I'm going to start talking to some Valpo players here over the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks and, and uh, try to find out what's the biggest shot they've ever hit. Was it in college? Was it in high school? Was it an AAU? And I just think that you'll learn a little bit more about each one of these guys, where they come from, when you get to, uh, when you get to figure that out. So I think, uh, I think that's going to be a fun one to go through.
0: Yeah, that, I look forward to checking that out. Also, uh, you want to throw out your uh, social media handles? So people can get in touch with you.
1: At NWI Oren on Twitter. That's Twitter, at NWI Oren. And you can find my podcast, Union Street Hoops, all over the place. Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Pods. Uh, and, and really, it's, uh, it's fun. Podcasting's a good time, right? It's a good time.
0: Yeah, I love it. Thank you very much for having me. All right, thank you so much, Paul. This was a blast. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, My pleasure.
0: Well, folks, there you have it. Had an awesome time with Paul Oren. Actually, I recorded this podcast episode about a week ago and have had so much content coming out. But I wanted to release this right before Christmas because I probably am not going to have time to create any new content uh, right before Christmas, because it's such a busy time. I hope everyone has an awesome holiday season. If you would like to, I've got Jack Vita Show stickers available. They all came in the mail last week. I've got 150 of them. I'll ship them out to you. If you live close to me and you'd like to get them, I give it to you for free. Just contact me through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Message me, and I will hook you up. And I could ship it out to you, get it to you soon. Coming up on the podcast after week 17 next week, I'm going to be looking back on the NFL season and getting everyone pumped up for the NFL playoffs. It's hard to believe we're already at this point. I had a fun time last week talking about the Santa Claus 2. If you're in the mood for a Christmassy episode, check that one out. If you would like to support this podcast, subscribe to The Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And you will never miss an episode. You will always be the first one who will become aware whenever there is fresh content available. Always goes to the subscribers first. So make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review. That would do a lot of good. Okay, guys, that's it for today's show. Hope you all have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you're celebrating, have a good time. Stay safe on New Year's Eve. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Bring in the Dancing Lobsters.